Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Today I'm pleased to welcome Isabel Ramdu. Isabel is an economist with over 20 years of experience in trade negotiations and industrial policy. She has worked as a senior advisor to the African Minerals Development Center and the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. She has also worked as deputy head of program economic transformation at the European Center for Development Policy Management. Isabel has worked also for the government of Mauritius as an economist and a trade negotiator. Isabel, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extracted Podcast. I look forward to our conversations this morning. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks for the opportunity. So, uh, Isabel, I, I thought that maybe you could help us uh, understand how minerals are positioned uh, in the space of um, climate change relative to, say, fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think, um, you know, the, the, the need for um, the, 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 the move to the low carbon transition will is extremely um, intensive in minerals. The manufacturing of green energy sources, for example, like solar PVs, wind turbines, electric vehicles, are highly intensive in minerals and metals. And therefore, we expect mining to play an increasingly important role in this transition. Uh, just to give a few uh, examples here, um, in the mining sector, um, yeah, the types of and quantity of minerals that will be needed will, of course, vary by technology, but there will be huge increases for a variety of those minerals. In a scenario, for example, that uh, you know, meets this 2% um, degree Celsius limit to global temperature set in the Paris Agreement, we expect the share of clean technology to total demand for some minerals for the next 20 years to be, for example, 90% for lithium, 70% for nickel and cobalt. What does that mean? It means that uh, if you want to meet your goals for Paris Agreement, you will need at least four times more minerals for the clean energy transition by 2020, that, by 2040 from what we need today. And if you want to be even more ambitious, because we know there are countries that have committed to go to net zero carbon emission, which means they will cut more than what they had initially uh, committed in the Paris, you will need six times more minerals and metals. And that means that the mining industry will have to invest a lot because supply currently is not enough. And you expect, uh, you know, some minerals like lithium to increase by 506% by then. Cobalt, 460% increase is expected. And then there are some, you know, less known minerals like indium, vanadium that are really expected also to grow. So, um, I think, uh, yeah, this this means that, and that's only for energy transition. We're not ad adding to it other uses of, of minerals, which will make the numbers that I uh, just highlighted even more. Right. So you, you've spoken very helpfully uh, about the position of metallic substances. Uh, what of uh, fossil fuels? What is the difference in terms of that trajectory when you apply that same analogy to fossil fuels? 
Yeah, so so um, naturally, you know, if we want to meet uh, the commitments to, to to combat climate change, it means that we will have to move away from fossil fuels, and this include coal, oil, and gas, which today you know account for about sixty five percent of global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so the, the thing is that. For you know, it's it's not it's not just the demand that will that will fall. The supply will also have to fall, and um, but we need to distinguish between these three: coal, oil, and gas, because I think the trends are not going to be uh, exactly the same. Coal, for example, is the most carbon intensive of the three fuel uh, for fossil fuels. We expect a steeper decline. Although um, we have to be a bit cautious about this because we still have to see how Asia will respond. Today, Asia is 75% of coal consumption, and this is driven by China and India. And we, well, because, you know, the growing um, population and their growing industrial needs for manufacturing, etc., China has announced that they want to go net zero, but India still has to follow suit. So there, um, the, the, the trend is set to reduce, but it's the pace that we don't really know. For the oil sector, um, the transport sector is accounts for 60% of the growth of oil demand. And if we expect um, more electric vehicles and new battery technologies to be more affordable, uh, et cetera, especially for long distance transport, then um, there is an expectation that the demand for oil will decrease. On oil, I just wanted to mention something there because there is a push factor that is important. It is the demand for petrochemicals, which is the non-combustion part of oil. It's interesting because, you know, if you extract oil and you burn it, it's bad for the climate, if I can say this you know, uh, crudely. But if you extract oil for petrochemicals and you have a clean manufacturing block, it might actually not be as bad as this. The thing is that today, petrochemical is only 12% of global oil demand. But we know that as you need more clean technology, for example, uh, electric vehicles, you will need more plastics. You will need more um, you know, uh, other things that go in it to make it lighter. So there is a little bit of uh, uh, interrogation mark there as to how much petrochemicals might, uh, demand for oil for petrochemicals might grow. And then we, yeah, to see how that will impact on oil. And then for gas, I think it's it's the lowest carbon dioxide intensity of the three, uh, considered a little bit cleaner and yeah, than the three and the supply probably expected to grow here compared to the two others. Hmm. So you've made uh, a lot of very interesting points that I would like to just uh, follow up on. Uh, first of all, the position of uh, the Asian countries, the two uh, large Asian countries, India and China, with respect to coal. How unique uh, do you know uh, is that position, which is to say heavily dependent on uh, coal for uh, energy, but also uh, while making the right utterances, not committing to walk away from coal completely, because we have other regions like Africa and Latin America. Yes. What is the position of these regions? And for that matter, Europe, including Germany, that uh, you know, until recently was still reliant in part on thermal coal. What is the picture like in these other regions? 
Yeah, I think I think I spoke about Asia saying that it is the biggest producer, the biggest consumer and the biggest user as well, because China not only produces, consumes, it also imports all the coal from the rest of the world. So this has fueled its manufacturing uh, boom, its industrial boom, not just manufacturing. The thing is that China is good at producing almost everything else that the world produces at cheaper price. So China has put a bet on green technology as a way also not just to, to, to service the world, but for itself. So I think we need to make a bit of a distinction between India and China because the path of the two is not the same. There is a bit more concern about the commitments of India to uh, transition away from coal. China has made an announcement last year that by 2060, it expects to go for net zero carbon emission, which means reducing on coal uh, as it goes. Um, at least the announcement has been made. We don't know how it's going to be translated in practice. We know that green technology will take uh, green energy sources, sorry, will take more and more prominence. But for India, it's a little bit different. The rest of the world, um, I think there is a chance in some, for example, in Africa, where um, the deficit of energy is still very large to turn this into an opportunity to when uh, uh, you know energy um, uh, uh, provision is being developed to do this in a cleaner way. There is a big challenge for those who are currently producing a lot of coal, for example, South Africa, Mozambique, etc. They have their big coal producers. There the question is one uh, about their own uh, energy security. And secondly, it's a major, especially for countries like Mozambique, uh, very important for their uh, budget contribution. So then there is a question there of what do you do with your assets? Is it going to be stranded or are you away, uh, able to use it for some alternative sources, which is not combustion? And the same applies for Latin America. I think um, countries like Colombia have still uh, in their policy now, as long by 2020, they want to dig up everything and produce everything. Europe has a similar, uh, if you want, uh, issue with its Eastern European countries, mainly Poland, who is a pocket of coal production. They have a green transition now, and they have, and that's where you see the power of money speaks and helps, which is a problem for developing countries because there they have in their green transition a huge budget to accompany those countries, this country, and the others that are pocket of coal production to move away from coal and to a company. They have a, um, a, a policy called just transition. So to make sure that no one is left behind. We don't have this mm. in developing countries. Sure. So uh, another uh, point you made that I'd like to follow up on is uh, you said um, the current uh, projection for demand of these uh, clean energy friendly matters, if you wish, uh, is based on what we know today about technology. Yes. But that if uh, presumably you're implying that if technology changes, all that could change upwards or downwards of the supply curve. Can you speak more uh, in some detail about that, please? Yes, I think uh, bottom line here is that none of this is guaranteed. None of this. We have expectations. All those figures that I've mentioned, there are, you know, research recently. The latest one is the International Energy Agency just came out a month ago with a, 
a big research showing new projections. All of this is based on a certain number of assumptions, a certain number of modelings and expectations, which themselves are based on uncertain terrains. I think there are many factors, not just technology that can affect the demand for minerals, one is the level of risk that is not the same for all minerals. For example, you take minerals like copper, nickel, iron ore that is needed for steel or bauxite needed for aluminum. These minerals are not only used for low carbon transition. They've got other avenues, other sources. So if the demand goes down, it's not that it won't affect countries, but there are other alternative uses to this. There are other minerals that are more at risk because they are used for very specific technologies. If you take, for example, lithium, cobalt, graphite, very dependent on battery technologies. And this is where technology, the technology for the technology becomes important because these technology innovation changes very rapidly. Nobody today can say with certainty what minerals future technologies will require and in what quantity. I think the use of cobalt in magnets, in the, we have some examples with cobalt and magnets in the, in the past that can give you a good example. In the 40s, cobalt was used for um, magnets that replaced electromagnets. Currently, the technology used in, in, in magnets doesn't have cobalt anymore. It has changed. And with Political factors and geostrategic concerns on volatility of prices around, you know, countries putting trade measures like China and rare earth uh, with, with Japan in 2010 or other issues with responsible sourcing legislations, which are global legislations that can, can affect a country like Congo. R&D, research and development for mining companies are really go, uh, you know, uh, trying to ensure that this over-concentration or over-reliance on some of those minerals, they are working on alternative technologies. So countries have to be careful when they put all their weight on um, you know, uh, developing their economy based on minerals that are not necessarily going to be the, there tomorrow for the technology that we're talking today. So um, it's interesting because we start off with a big picture, which is that uh, for all intents and purposes, the future of fossil fuels is coming to an, an end. But that when we look at minerals, there we see demand, at least in the short term, for certain minerals increasing. Mm -hmm. And for other traditional minerals like iron ore and bauxite, as you said, that really go beyond the space of clean energy, we see that the world continues pretty much in the same direction. Yeah. And, 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 and so, as always, the, the devil is in the detail, because even though our fossil fuels may uh, reduce, the petrochemicals are still very much an integral part of the very solution we are talking about, encasing of uh, copper wiring in uh, vehicles, for instance, the carpets, the chairs that we use in offices, most of them molded from uh, petrochemicals. Exactly. And, and, and I think you make an interesting point because people forget that. All the packaging that we see by and large in supermarkets and others, these are petrochemicals. Yeah. So, so really what we are looking, we are more likely looking at a, re a significant reduction, but not an end to the use of fossil fuels, at least in so far as they relate to petrochemicals. Would that be correct? Yes, I think we have to distinguish two things. We have to distinguish um, hydrocarbon, well, oil, for example, for 
combustion, which is the problem because you're burning it and you're releasing greenhouse gas emission, etc. And then the other uses, alternative uses, and you mentioned petrochemicals, fertilizers. If you have to feed the planet, you need feedstocks. Uh, you know, and, and if you look at what petrochemical is about painting and you know, all sorts of things that we need in our daily lives, it's made of a lot of this petrochemical uh, derivatives. This is not going to go away. There is a very interesting... Um, a report that the International Energy Agency has released, I think last year or a year ago, on the demand for petrochemicals in the future. And even if today it's only 12% of the, of the oil demand, this is expected to grow by 60%. Just because if you take an electric vehicle, the engine, the IC engine that we need know today, compared to an electric vehicle engine, the electric vehicle engine is way more heavier. To make the machine move, you need to lighten up everything else. And guess what you find in your electric vehicles? Plastic, uh, just to make it lighter. So it's, it's true. And this is what I think to me the key for countries that have those resources lie in if you're an exporter of the crude, then it's, you're dependent on whoever is going to transform it, whether burn it or transform it into petrochemicals. Whereas if you yourself have value addition downstream and your refineries and your petrochemical um, you know, factory or cluster, you can decide what you can do with part of your oil. So I think it's, it's that what will make um, you know, uh, countries' policies around oil, their, their, their oil reserves, um, more or less solid or not. Most of developing countries send their uh, uh, crude somewhere else to be refined, and then that whoever country it is decide what they want to do with it. And then you don't have a control over this. But it is very important for countries to think about non-combustion uses because it's the same for coal. You know, if you don't have coal, you can't purify water. It's also about ten percent. There is ten percent of use. Uh, you cannot. Life cannot go on if you don't have coal at all. <laughs> I'm not saying we should extract them, but there is an alternative use of coal as well. So this is something that people have to reflect on. What else can you do and how best can you tap it? Make it clean. Hmm. So when you speak about uh, uh, governments and countries that have uh, fossil fuels having to rethink, uh, I, I think this is very important, but I think it also speaks to two, uh, if you wish, stakeholders. Mm -hmm. On the sovereign and public policy side, I think the, the, the biggest opportunity here is for state-owned entities because they already have control and they can make quick decisions on whether to export or value add and then get into the uh, petrochemical space, mm -hmm. which at least for now, it doesn't appear to be shrinking. Uh, on the contrary, likely to grow. And I think there's a major opportunity there. The other, of course, is on the private sector side. I see there the opportunity of small petroleum producers mm -hmm. to create a niche market where uh, the Exxon models of this world cannot live just off petrochemicals. They yeah. will have to make a major change in terms of strategic direction. But for smaller producers, simply uh, 
saying, okay, we'll move in the direction of petrochemicals, I think offers an opportunity. Uh, and, and many of the small producers are also in developing countries. So the, the future of fossil fuels in terms of their capacity to contribute to national economies, therefore doesn't have to be as bleak as it sounds. And, and, and I'm glad that you made uh, that point. But I, I did want to just ask, I mean, if we come back to mining and decarbonization, mm -hmm. uh, so apart from battery storage and other issues and windmills and uh, so forth, what other contribution do we think or benefit do we think uh, mining brings to the overall sustainable development uh, agenda, especially in uh, developing countries and emerging markets? Yeah, this is very important because I think there is a clear link and it relates back to the comment you were making earlier about the majors, you know, not being able to sustain and maybe having to kind of let go of, of, of uh, you know, their, their production. It, to me, there is a core element here that has to be integrated with public policies. It's your industrial strategy your green industrial strategy because you've we've just seen seen with the covid crisis what happened with global supply chains when once it's disrupted for like something like a pandemic we 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 realize that over reliance on foreign suppliers only is not in, is is not sustainable so this is a big opportunity to use mineral proceeds to use mineral um, efficiency of energy because of mining to green your industrial strategy and put in place real industrial strategies. So uh, I think that uh, you've given us a mouthful, a, a huge amount to ponder. And as usual, my sense is that there are more uh, questions than there are answers. So let's leave it at that for now. And thank you very much for your time. It's, it, I have enjoyed speaking with you on the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you very much, Sheila, for the opportunity.